Good morning. And it's good to see all of you guys here with us this morning at Fusion City. Uh, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And today I have the privilege of um, being up here to, to open God's word for us to look together at how we can further identify with this man that we read about in the Bible named Jonah. And what we've been doing for the last several weeks is as we identify with Jonah and some of the things that he got wrong and some of the ways that he messed up, we're trying to do the best that we can as, as modern day believers in 2017, figure out how we can maybe learn from some of Jonah's mistakes and some of Jonah's shortcomings so that we can then apply the, the lessons that he learned to our own lives and then as a result, better serve and honor the Christ that we say we believe in and we follow. And so we've been doing that for the last several weeks. Today we're in <clears throat> week four of the series and we're in chapter four of the book of Jonah. So if you haven't been with us for the, for the rest of this series or for the first three weeks, I'd really encourage you to go to our website, fusioncitychurch.com. You can check out, uh, there's a link there that says listen online and you can catch up if you, we, we kind of entering into the end of Jonah's story today, but if you're not familiar with his account in scripture and all the things that he went through and all the ways that he uh, honored God and all the ways that he dishonored God, I'd, I'd encourage you to go and not only read the book of Jonah, uh, but to also uh, catch up with the podcast over the last three weeks. And so if you're not familiar with the story, here's the, here's the brief synopsis. Uh, God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach to these people. Jonah said, I don't want to do it because those people are evil and wicked. They're murderers, adulterers. They skin people alive. Like they're the most horrible wicked, terrible people on earth, and I don't really want to preach to them. And so he tried to run away. He ran away um, by jumping in a boat and headed away from where God wanted him to go. God sent this huge storm. It, it was a, threatening to capsize the boat, so they get this great idea, well, let's just throw the dude in the water that God's mad at, and so they throw Jonah overboard. Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish or a whale. He lives in the well for three days. If you don't have, have trouble believing that, don't worry. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's hard to believe, but God's supernatural, and we talked about that the last couple of weeks. Um, but in his supernatural life inside of the well, it lasts for three days, and then the well kind of vomits him onto some land uh, right back at the place where God told him to go in the first place. And so God is getting his way through the submission, kind of forced submission of Jonah. So Jonah ends up in this place called Nineveh. He goes, he preaches to these people the world's worst sermon. We talked about that last week. It was eight words. His heart wasn't even really in it. He just kind of gave them, all right, fine, God made me do this, and so I'm going to do it. Here you go, and then like the whole city, the whole city of Nineveh gets saved, repents, turns their life over to God. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today, or Jonah's story. It's not our story, it's Jonah's story. We're going to pick up his story today. I want to go back and give you um, a little bit of context so that we can jump into it. But here's, here, let, me, let me set it up this way as, as what's getting ready to happen to Jonah. Anybody like the, uh, like the cop shows on TV, like the... The NYPD or the Blue Bloods or the Criminal Minds or any of that stuff. Show of hands. Come on, somebody. Good, good, good. I would believe that's probably a majority of us. So the majority of us watch these, these cop shows where they try to track down bad people and put them in jail, right? So every one of these shows that I've ever had the opportunity to watch or that I've ever followed and kept up with, at some point in the season of these cop shows, there's always an episode where they catch the bad guy, they've got him dead to rights, they, they bring him in for, for questioning, or, he's, or he's, it's the legal side of things, and now once we get to the legal side of things, and the, the, the bad guy, the perpetrator, right, he always 
he, he gets off on some kind of technicality. Now, there's some kind of rule somewhere that some, like, you know, mischievous lawyer kind of figures out, and he uses this loophole to get his client off, even though all of the evidence points against him. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Like, every show has that episode. It's always the same, right? It always kind of plays out the same way. Doesn't it make you mad? Like, when, when, especially if you follow this show, you're, like, you're invested in the characters, and like they do their job perfectly, and they catch the bad guy, and they did this horrible thing, but then they get away with it. And all signs point to the fact that they're just going to get away with it. And now, if you're following that cop show, usually they catch them again, and then they get them, right? That's how it usually happens. But in that, that one particular episode that I'm talking about, doesn't it make you mad? That, that they did the horrible, wicked thing, and they got away from it? That they got away with it? That's exactly what Jonah is getting ready to experience. And so like I said, Jonah doesn't have a lot of love for the Ninevites. In Jonah's mind, these are the worst people on the face of the planet. And they got away with it. He preached a horrible sermon. They repented, and God does this. Look with me. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. So we're going to back up, catch verse 10 from chapter 3, and then we'll move into chapter 4. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, let's move over into chapter 4 of Jonah, and, and we'll see Jonah's response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Just like we get when we watch the cop show where people get away with it. He was angry. He could feel it. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my own country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. That's the last time I got to say that word in this series. Amen. For I knew, I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Let's track with this for a minute. God just saved. A whole city, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in the city of Nineveh. God was going to destroy them, and he didn't. That's a happy story, right? Like That's good news, that God didn't destroy people. Like, it's a good thing. But look at Jonah's response. He was exceedingly angry. And look, look at his response to God. See, see, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God that relents from disaster. I knew you loved people. How dare you? I told you this was going to happen. Ah, man, you know what, God? Just take my life. If this is how you're going to be, if you're going to let the bad guy get away with it, then God, just take my life. I don't even want to live anymore. I love God's response. God's kind of humorous if you look at him. If you know him as well as you, as you should, God can be kind of funny sometimes. Look at God's response, verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, really? 
Jonah? I'm like, really? This is where we're going? I saved hundreds of thousands of people, and you're mad. Like, you're, like just, just, so, we, so we got the facts straight, Jonah. You're mad that, that I didn't kill people. Like, you're, you're, you're mad about that. You see, when we read this, we can almost feel the absurdity of Jonah's anger. Can't we? No, we don't like it when the bad guy gets away either, so we can, so we can kind of relate. But, but God just relinquished his wrath from hundreds of thousands of people. And Jonah's angry about it, and it feels absurd to say it. And what compounds the absurdity, what makes it worse, is that Jonah just experienced the miraculous saving compassion and mercy of God. Just a couple chapters before, Jonah is running away from God, and God saves him. Now, he put him in the belly of a whale, which, I mean, it's, it's, it's not the, the best of circumstances, but it was still a saving. So he's, he's living under the very blanket of grace that God just provided to him, yet he's angry that God would provide grace to somebody else. Terrence Fretheim said it this way. He said, it was a, talking about Jonah's message to them, he said it was a graceless message delivered by one living in the shadow of an experience of grace. Jonah had just, you know why Jonah knew so much about the mercy and the compassion and the grace of God? Because he had just experienced it. He had just lived in, soaked in, benefited from the mercy of God. Yet when God extends mercy to not one person but hundreds of thousands, Jonah feels completely different. You see, Jonah didn't put himself in, in the same category of sinner as the Ninevites. He saw that he was in a category where he deserved God's grace, but these other people, they were in a different category where God's grace should be off limits to them. When you begin to see yourself as a basically worthy person, almost like you kind of deserve God's grace, you'll always be shocked by it when it shows up in other people. You'll be shocked by God's tremendous amount of grace. You'll, you'll be resentful when you see God bless other people that you feel like don't deserve it. You'll find your, that in your life you, you resist the opportunity to be generous because you feel like, I worked for that. I earned that. That's mine. I, I deserve it. And let me, let me ask a Let's do it. Let's do self-exam pop quiz, right? All right. Everybody loves a pop quiz. Pop quiz. But this one, this one's gonna hurt a little bit. All right, a little self-examination pop quiz. Are you ready? Here's a few questions. How do you respond when someone else gets the blessing that you wanted? How do you feel when God blesses somebody else in the way that you desire to be blessed? What about I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tailor this to the ladies. I don't think it has to be specific to the women, but Ladies, when you're single and all your friends are getting married and you're still single, always a bridesmaid, right? You know, you've heard that, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. How, how does that make you feel? What, what, what about 
and this is personal for my family, what about when, when you're trying to get pregnant, when you're trying to have a kid? And then on Facebook, she's pregnant, and she's pregnant, and she's pregnant, and she's pregnant, and she's pregnant. And there, oh, man, how, how, does it, how does it make you feel when somebody else gets the blessings of God that you wanted for yourself? How, how generous are you when it comes to your money? Because people love it when preachers talk about money. How, how, how generous are you with your money? Do you, do you give it cheerfully? Is it a, is it, is it, does it feel good to give it? Or, or do you give it begrudgingly? Do you give it because you feel like you're supposed to? Because you have to, because God will be mad if you don't. How, how forgiving are you with those that are closest to you? See, here's the tendency. When we have somebody that's really close to us, wife, parent, best friend, brother, sister, we know that they have to love us even when we act like a fool. Which gives us a lot of leniency to be able to do what? To act like a fool. Doesn't it? How forgiving are you to your spouse when they act like a fool? How much, how much grace are you extending to the people that deserve it the most? Or that don't deserve it better yet? How forgiving are you to the people who don't deserve it at all? This is what, this is what God is trying to teach to Jonah and it's our main thought for today. So if you're taking notes and you want something you can write down, this one's a little bit long. But we'll give you some time to, to scribble it down. A spirit of unforgiveness and a lack of generosity demonstrates how out of touch you are with the grace of God in your life. I'm, I'm going to say it again. A spirit of unforgiveness... And a lack of generosity demonstrates how out of touch you are with the grace of God in your life. And let me tell you where this originates. When you see other people's sin differently than you see yours. When you place their sin in a category that's outside of the category of your own sin. We see this in Jonah. This is exactly what Jonah was fighting. They're murderers. They skin people alive. They're adulterers. They steal. They're horrible, evil, wicked people. But, but hadn't what Jonah did, just did, isn't that, isn't it the same? I mean, come on, think about what Jonah just did. Jonah, through direct revelation from God, like God spoke. To Jonah. And there's a lot of us in this room that's saying, God, I really wish God would just speak to me. There's some stuff I'd like to hear. There's some stuff I'd like to know about. Jonah got that. God spoke directly to Jonah and told him to do something very specific. And Jonah essentially looked in the face of God and said, no. Come on, parents. Come on, parents. Is there one thing on this earth that makes you more angry than for you to tell your child that you raise, that you pay for, that you feed and clothe and bathe and clean up after? To tell them to do something, have them look at your face and tell you no? Is there anything worse? 
Remember what we said in week one? We said there, you are never further away from God than when you are close to him and say no. You see, the Ninevites, they weren't believers. They were ignorant of God's grace and his mercy and his compassion and his will and all the things that Jonah knew about. Jonah was close to God. He was a prophet of God. Yet he still looked at God, knowing who God was and what God could do and everything that God had done, looked at God and said no. Yet Jonah has the audacity to look at the Ninevites and think, whew, those people, they're bad. They're the ones that don't deserve any grace. Their sin is in a category that is way worse than anything I have ever done. I never killed nobody. Yeah, but Jonah, you, you told God no. The, the original sin, the very first sin, Adam and Eve. God said, don't eat of that tree. Everything else you can have it, there's just that one tree. Don't eat of that one. And Adam and Eve, in, in the greater context of things, said, nah, we'll do it our way. Thank you. We'd like to eat of that tree too. You're never further from God than when you're close to God and say no. And that's exactly what Jonah had done. It's the very thing that got this whole sin train started. It was direct defiance of God. And, and let's, let's, not, let's, let's not forget, let's not lose the context here. This is after Jonah has done what God asked him to do. All of this anger, all this rage, all of this, they didn't deserve your grace. They shouldn't have been saved. God, you shouldn't have spared them. All of this is happening after Jonah did what God asked him to do. Don't, let's not miss that. Jonah was running, threw in a water, thrown into the ocean, swallowed by a fish, onto dry, ground, onto dry ground, went and did what God asked him to do. He didn't do it well. His heart wasn't in it, but he did it. He did what God asked him to do, yet his heart is still angry about what God has done. Let's, let's not miss this. Let's not miss this because there's, a, there's an important distinction that takes place here that we need to recognize. You see, for, for most people who are in a relationship with God or coming into a relationship with God, there's this transition that takes place. I, I, I like to call it, there's, there's Christianity 1.0 and then there's Christianity 2.0. Here's Christianity 1.0. Christianity 1.0 says, I believe there is a God, he is powerful, and he is mighty, and it is his son Jesus that saves, and I don't want to go to hell. I'm scared of hell, I know that God is the one who can keep me out of hell, so I, I, I give up, I surrender. God, I'm yours, I belong to you, I don't want to go, just save me, like I don't want to go to hell. That's Christianity 1.0. Christianity 1.0 is where we learn to surrender. Then there's a Christianity 2.0 where our heart begins to or, or in the process of wanting the things that God wants, loving the way that God loves. Christianity 1.0 is where we learn to surrender. Christianity 2.0 is where we learn to love. Jonah is stuck. He ain't met Christ yet, but he's stuck in Christianity 1.0. He hasn't made it to Christianity 2.0. Jonah has done what God asked him to do because he don't want to go back in the belly of a whale. But he's unhappy about it. There's no love in Jonah's heart for the people of Nineveh. He's learned to surrender, but he's yet, he's yet to learn to love. Here's what we need to see about this. There's a, there's a step that has to take place 
between Christianity 1.0 if we're ever going to make it to Christianity 2.0. God desperately desires our obedience. That is true. But God, what God prefers is a whole new kind of obedience. It's one thing to do what God says to do. It is something completely different in what God desires that we would want to do what God wants us to do. We've had this discussion before. You've had this, you've had this discussion with your wives, gentlemen. I don't want you to just do the things that I ask you to do. I want you to want to do them because you love me. See, it's silent in here because y'all are scared to laugh, and that's okay. Because I know it's happened. I know it is happening. This happened in my life. It's not, I don't want you to just do what I say. I want you to want to. And it's the exact same way with God. God is more after our heart's desire to do the things that he, he wants us to want to do the things that he calls us to. It's, it's not enough. Now, if you're at Christianity 1.0, hey, man, we're glad you're here. But we said at the beginning of this year that this year was going to be all about movement, that there's a place where we are. And I, there's probably a lot of us. I'm not going to take a poll when you don't have to raise your hand. But there's probably a lot of us. We're in Christianity 1.0. I don't want to go to hell. I believe there's a God. He's all-powerful. I believe that the only way that I'm not going to go to hell is through belief in his son, Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That's great. And we're glad that you're there figuratively, and we're glad that you're here literally. But here's what we want for you because this is what God wants for you. As the church, we want to want what God wants. We want you to move from Christianity 1.0 into Christianity 2.0 where your heart begins to break for the very things that God's heart breaks for. That's Christianity 2.0, and that is what God desires from us. Oh, it gets better for Jonah. You ready? Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah's hoping. God, just... Please just kill them. Like, can you hear the sin? God, just please, just wipe them out. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and, it made, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Uh, temperatures in Assyria in this day would have been about 108 to 115 degrees Fahrenheit during the day. It was, it was hot. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, if you, if you read this in the original language, this is the most happy Jonah has been in the entire book. Which, again, is the contrast that we're pointing out today, is that Jonah just got to watch the God Almighty relent from disaster and say, he got to see the greatest miracle. Hundreds of thousands of people who were the most evil people on the planet all turned their hearts to God and did great things, rejoiced and repented mightily in response to his message of God's power and God's love for them. He got to see that. But the thing Jonah is most excited about in the entire book of Jonah is a plant. A little vine that gave him some, some shade. And he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up early the next or came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, 
God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. He said, same, same thing. But God said to Jonah, you got to love it. Do, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And at this point, Jonah's had it. Right, like you asked me this one time, do I do well to be angry? Now Jonah's about to blow his cool. Yes, I do well to be angry. Yeah, I got every right to be upset. Not only did you save all these horrible, wicked people, but now you done took away the one thing that you gave me that brought a little bit of satisfaction to my life. Yes, I'm angry. I do well to be angry. Just kill me now. So I got into character. Jonah. I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Now, God is about to provide some much-needed perspective for our friend Jonah. Verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, you pity this, this plant for which you did not labor. You didn't plant it, nor did you make it grow. Which came into being in a night and perished in a night. God, Jonah, it was here for a day. I made that plant, and it was only here for one day. And God asked, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand? from their left, and also much cattle. I don't know what God's deal was with the cattle in the book of Jonah. That feels like almost like comedic relief at this point. Not, not only are there 120,000 people there that don't know their left hand from their right, there's a, there's a lot of cows, Jonah. Like, if you can't care about the people, at least care about the cow. Jonah, can we get a little love for the cows? So most scholars believe that, that when it says 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, that, that God was talking about children who, who don't yet know the difference between left and right. He's talking, there's a hundred, and Jonah, listen, this is God's message to Jonah. Jonah, there's 120,000 children in that city that you want me to destroy. You're worried about a plant? You're concerned about a plant, a vine. Jonah, there's, there's children in that city, 120,000 of them. You got no love for them? Who do you struggle to love? I had a friend yesterday, we were talking through some stuff, and he said, you know, I I was completely changed by realizing what I thought when I heard about bin Laden's death. You guys remember that? The Navy SEALs went in, killed him. Our whole nation rejoiced, right? You remember that? It was a party. We got him. How'd you feel about that? Were you excited about that? Felt pretty good to know, right? Justice was served. But check your heart, Christian. Osama bin Laden is gone. There's no opportunity for him to repent. Would he have repented? We don't think so. 
but we don't know. We don't know. There's an opportunity that's been missed, that's gone, that no longer exists because he's dead. And he's in hell. And as believers, if we begin, we desire to love like God loves. Scriptures tell us that God desires that all, 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 everyone, A-L-L, every single one, all people come to repentance. That's God's desire. That all would repent. And that none, zero, zilch, nada, would perish. All would come to repentance. None would perish. Now, come on, I, I, I celebrated bin Laden's death. I, I, I cheered for that. I'm a military guy. I, I rejoice that our military got the job done. Like, I was proud. I was happy about that. But in retrospect, if I want what God wants, if my heart is after what God's heart is after, then there's a part of me should be a growing part of me that's saddened to know that he no longer has an opportunity to be saved. What about a particular race of people? Is, is there a group because of the, the color of their skin or nationality that you think less of, that you put in a different category than yourself? What about those of a different sexual orientation? Is, is there grace enough for them? In your world, in your perspective, from your God? What about, what about, what about the worst criminals? What about, what about the rapists? What about, what about the pedophiles? Do we rejoice in their death? Or do we mourn? Because they no longer have an opportunity to meet the God that can change them. You see, from Jonah's perspective, Nineveh, they weren't people. They were, they were, they were an idea. They were a concept. They were this, this intangible thing. And to wipe them away meant nothing to him. But it meant everything to God. And that's why I believe God chose to use the 120,000 children. He's trying to get Jonah to see the people, not the idea. He's trying to get them to see the trees, not the forest. It's, it's personal. And it should be personal for us too. Every person regardless of what they have done, whether in general or to you personally, is somebody that God loves. That God loves. They, they are probably a lot like you. That they're made in the image of God, just like you. They experience pain. And sadness and fear, just like you. They love their families, just like you love your family. They love their children, just like you do. They know what it's like to be afraid. They know what it's like to feel lonely. And they may have done some horrible, evil, wicked stuff. But God loves them. And if we're ever going to live fully in 
to this Christianity 2.0. If we're ever going to truly want what God wants, then we have to love what and who God loves. And I know that's not, I know that's not easy to hear. But it's the truth of Scripture. And it's the very thing that God was trying to teach Jonah. So what's Jonah's response? How does Jonah respond? Well, let's look at the next verse. There is no next verse. This is the end of the book of Jonah. It ends with a question. Here's the question. What about the 120,000 persons, Jonah? What about the 120,000 kids, Jonah? What about the people of Nineveh, Jonah? And there's no response. So, did Jonah get it? Did did he get it? We we don't really know. But, But most people believe that Jonah is the author of this book. So it's Jonah that asked the question, what about the 120,000 people that don't know their right hand from their left? It's it's him, it's him that was right. And so I I like to believe, I I want to believe that Jonah got it. He's the one that wrote the book. He's the one that wanted us to feel this and wanted us to answer the question in our context of who do we struggle to live? Who do we struggle to love like God loves? I believe I believe Jonah got it. The question you and I have to answer is do we get it? I hope that lands with you where it lands with me. Because I know that so many times in my life I've had to fight jealousy for seeing God bless or minister to other people in the way that I desire to be blessed or ministered to. I've had to fight greed when I didn't feel like being generous because, God, that's mine. I've had to fight all of these these things that I see so clearly in Jonah, but even though I can identify with Jonah, the very last thing I want to do is be the same. And I hope I hope that Jonah got it. But I also hope that in my lifetime, I'll get it too. I don't think I'm there yet. I doubt that any of us are completely. And that's what's so amazing about the love and the mercy and the compassion of a father who loves us. Is that even in our failings and our shortcomings, he still loves us the same way that he loved the Ninevites and the same way he loves the people that we're struggling to love and that we're struggling to forgive. So here's what I'd like to do right now. I'm gonna ask for all of you, if you would, to just just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just wanna walk you through a prayer. I wanna give you some things to to respond to this message to God with. David wrote in Psalm 139, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. 
lead me in the way everlasting. So today, would you just give God permission to search you? Just tell him right now, God, search me. Show me where there is fault. God, bring to my mind the person or or maybe the type of person God that I just feel like I cannot love God remind me of the grace that I have experienced remind me of your grace for me God and then help me aware that that same grace is available to them. Help me, Father, to see people through your eyes. Help me to love like you love. Forgive me for my unforgiveness. God, create in me a new heart, a heart that beats and bleeds for the things that your heart loves. And Father, would you empower me to go in boldness to the world that you so desperately love. Pray this in Jesus' name.